Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. I am managing partner of the Strategic Valuation and Advisory Services Practice, which brings clarity to the most important strategic decisions that business owners and executives face by presenting them with factual evidence for such decisions. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck, so please join that as well if you would like to engage. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I use influencer marketing? According to InfluencerMarketingHub.com, the global influencer marketing market is expected to reach $16.4 billion in 2022. YouTube's top earner in 2021 was Ryan Kali, who made $29.5 million. So it's a thing now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is a topic I've wanted to do for a while, but, but haven't really found the right person to help us with it until now. Um, you know, it's funny, as, as I watch my kids grow up, they don't watch movies anymore. They don't watch TV shows anymore. It's, it's my generation, Generation X, that sort of binge watches. And I think only the, only the baby boomers left will actually watch real TV with commercials and stuff anymore. Um, but, but, you know, when, when a, a commercial comes on during a sporting event, my, my kids think something's wrong with the television. And it just goes to show you how our, how our, our, our watching habits, our viewing habits – have changed to me so rapidly, uh, almost overnight to me, but I'm sure it's taken longer than that. And, and, and you know, influencers who, to us, to outsiders, and I consider myself an outsider as a, as a sort of a late Gen Xer, an older Gen Xer, you know, on the surface, they seem to be people that are basically famous for being famous. Um, but we sort of forget again that on on channels such as YouTube and Facebook video and TikTok and Instagram, they are celebrities. They're simply celebrities on a medium that just isn't the place where I normally hang out. That doesn't make it worse. It just makes it different. And in fact, uh, it probably makes it increasingly attractive to to marketers. So uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about this because I don't know as much about it as I would like and should. And I hope you'll get a lot out of it as well. So joining us today is Richard Grove, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Wall Control, a family-owned and operated brand of wall storage and organization systems, ranging from garage tool storage to kitchen wall organizers 
and even industrial tool organizational systems for industry-leading Fortune 100 companies across the globe. Richard ba- Richard's background is in engineering, but what he enjoys most now is brand building through relationships and creative marketing, as well as implementing scalable solutions for growing his businesses. Richard began his career with the Department of Defense as an engineer on the C5 Galaxy engineering team based out of Warner Robins. While Richard found this experience both rewarding and fulfilling, he always knew deep down that he wanted to return to the small family business that originally triggered his interest in engineering. Richard came to work for the family business, DeKalb Tool and Die, in 2008 as a mechanical engineer. At the time, wall control was little more than a small side hustle for DeKalb Tool and Die to try to produce some incremental income. There was no wall control employee, just a small warehouse with a small a single tool and die maker that would double as an order fulfillment associate on occasion that the original wallcontrol.com website, which Richard's grandmother built, pulled in an order. Today, wall control is responsible for the employment of 50 employees and occupies an over 60,000 square foot physical footprint of its own while still growing rapidly. Wall Control is also proud to say that they are now DeKalb Tool and Die's biggest customer by volume sold through their shop. Richard Grove, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. So I, I appreciate the intro and kind of your background, what you want to get out of the conversation and what you'd like your audience to get out of. I think it'll be a fun one. Great. So let's start off because not everybody may be necessarily familiar with the term when we say, or when you say influencer marketing, what does that mean? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, there's just in that one question, there's a ton of stuff we can unpack in our conversation. So I think you nailed on what comes to mind when people think influencer marketing, if they do have any uh, you know, preconceived notion of it, they think it's somebody who's famous for being famous, you know, a million or more Instagram followers, you know, pushing products out to their audience. Um, we think about it a little bit differently in that Influencer marketing is really any third-party voice that is suggesting to an audience they should use a product or check out a brand and that that audience is receptive to that message. So, you know, you can have, you do have your famous for being famous Instagram folks who have massive audiences who can promote a product and people will go check it out. But an influencer could also be, you know, you know, your great aunt Ethel, who's got 30 really close friends that she plays bridge with, who if she posts something on Facebook, a product she likes, maybe four of them will check it out and, and purchase it. So um, it, it, anything in between that, in our, in our opinion, can be defined as influencer marketing. So when did influencer marketing start to gain traction? And to really just sort of put it very bluntly, at what point did influencer marketing become a thing, not just sort of a, a, a cute little side hustle or a cute little thing that people did, but became a, a really serious business activity? Yeah, I would say, um, I don't know what, from my perspective, I would say probably around 10 years ago, it started to gain traction and people, you know, the quote influencer community started to think more in terms of monetizing their influence. Um, and then over really the last five to 10 years, it's really, you know, kind of picked up steam, but our experience began, let's see, yeah, probably about 2015 is when we started kind of getting in those waters and, and giving it a, a try and allocating some marketing budget to experimenting with it. So I made an observation in my intro that I'm curious if you agree or disagree with, and please feel free to disagree. Um, is 
what is the relationship or the link, if any, between influencer marketing and what we might have called celebrity endorsements? How are they connected? How are they different? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of crossovers. So there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. So, um, you know, so the way we look at for a partner, and we don't we don't call them influencers. Um, we call them partners or brand ambassadors um, because the the term influencer can be a little reductionist for somebody who. So, for instance, our product it's it's tool storage systems. The people who use our product um, that have influence are you are you know tradesmen, craftsmen, uh, makers. Uh, really skilled DIY folks. And so those people have an audience because they're good at what they do and their audience respects what, you know, what they do. And so if they're to tell our audience about our product and endorse it, it, it carries a lot more weight. So um, that's very different than just, you know, Hey, Kanye West, can you sell this for me? I'll give you however much money and we'll make you a partner if you just push it on your channel. So um, they're both technically, I mean, they're both, by definition, influencer marketing. It's just, I think, in our experience and for the size of company that we are and the relationships that we want to build, it's a lot better for us to start with the skill, the, the person who had the skill that built the audience with the skill, and then go from go from that direction. So, you know, and I wonder if also sort of a, a difference or a driver behind the evolution. You know, one thing that strikes me is, you know, most celebrity endorsements are are quick hits exactly you know, think about a priceline.com william shatner kaylee kiwoko i don't know if that's still a thing anymore but they were cute commercials i'll be the first to admit i'm just in the tank for william shatner i just love the guy <laughs> um um but but influencer marketing to me is is almost it's they're they're infomercials you know the people that i follow on youtube i'm big into tech so you know, I follow Linus Tech Tips and Luke Miani and some other people that are really into, in particular, the Macintosh platform. Um, uh, Lisa Gade of Mobile Tech Reviews is also excellent, uh, and and uh, Dave 2D and and they're getting up there and they're demonstrating products for like a half an hour, and I'm watching them. Right? I'm basically, and if I'm honest about, it, I'm watching them do a 30 minute commercial, right? Yeah. So that they may or may not be being paid for. Um, it's just, it's, it's remarkable how, and I think that's a difference. Somehow those influence marketers do their, do their thing in a way that makes me want to watch a commercial for 30 minutes. It's bizarre. Yeah. I mean, our, one of our biggest things when we get reached out to is, you know, what are the deliverable, what are the deliverables? What do you expect from us? And the first thing we say is we want it to be organic content. You know, we want you to be in your shop building something and then you're using your wall control system and it comes up that way versus just shoehorning something in that looks like a commercial, you know? So like you said, you could do a whole, a whole video on how to use it and it could actually be informative and bring value to the, the viewer, um, you know, beyond just trying to sell the product and maybe the product's not even being sold. It's just making them aware of what you can do. I happen to use this system. And to me, that's a very powerful message because you haven't told anybody to buy anything, but you've told them this is a valuable thing to do. Here's the thing I found to be the best at it. You know, um, I think that resonates a lot more than you know. So and so sent me this, and let me tell you about it. I mean, we've. I think it's a, it's a, it's a really subtle but different, but big difference between a product review. I think the thing that pred- that uh, came before the influencer marketing were. Send me free product and I'll do a product review for you. 
So we saw a lot of that. And that, again, it's very subtle, but that didn't seem to move the needle very much for us. And some people would take our product out of the box. They wouldn't even install it or use it. They would just talk about it, you know? And so if I'm a viewer, I don't, you know, I'm not influenced by that. I just think you got something for free or you got paid a little to promote something on a YouTube channel. So um, the good ones, and I think the good ones too, they have a, they have a respect or their audience has a respect for them. They don't think they're going to get up and just hustle something to make a buck. It's actually something that they think will bring value to their viewer. So somebody listening to this conversation now may be thinking, okay, influencer marketing is a thing. Seems like it's, it's, it's growing. It's here to stay. It's not just a passing fad. When, when you, when you, how did you arrive at the conclusion that influencer marketing would be useful to you? And can you tell us a little bit of the story about how you implemented or acted upon that? For sure. Yeah. So we would get, you know, people would reach out for, for product review, pay us this, we'll review this product. And, um, I forget what year it was, again, probably around 2015. Um, the first one that we really worked with, his name's Lazy Guy DIY on Instagram, and he's a super close partner to us now. And he reached out, and it's a funny story we tell because he, he said, well, you, if you send me free product, I can use it in my shop and talk about it when it makes sense. And we were like, no, why would we do that? That doesn't seem like a good, you know, great. And he had solid following all that. We just didn't, we didn't understand the value proposition of it like we do now. And so after a little while of building a relationship, and I think he actually bought some product too, that, which is another, you know, when we see someone do that, it really tells us they're committed to our product line. Uh, so we ended up sending him some product and started to slowly, I think the word, the key is slowly for people, slowly started to um, build that trust in this process and started to see results from it. And since then, there's all kind of creative marketing things that we've done together. Uh, he runs our wall control Instagram account. Our brand ambassador program manages that. So we've brought on these partners of various, uh, you know, some some we work super closely with and some of them, it is just a free product. Let's see what you can do with it kind of thing. So I'm not sure if that helps answer the question, but yeah, from there, it started to snowball. He was able to bring in his other friends in the community. And I think that's another point is if you pick the right partners, they introduce you and your brand to their community. And that's where like the greatest value comes from, not just the potential consumer, but other influ quote influencer uh, partners that they they happen to have in their network. So it's as much networking as it is, you know, trying to sell product through a lot of eyeballs on any given social channel. I want to, I want to pause on that because nowadays there are no shortage. There's no shortage of, at least potential influencers, right? That's the thing. A lot of kids now would love to become influencers. That's like the thing they want to do when they grow up, right? Yeah. And and I'm sure that even back when you started this, you had no shortage of potential choices. How did you settle on that particular person? What were the criteria, either explicitly or lo looking back implicitly, you used to select that person or maybe others you may have increased your portfolio of um of partners to decide that they are the people you wanted to represent your products in the marketplace yeah that's a great question and there was no specific criteria at the time and we do have we do have some criteria now but it is still very uh person to person and situational that we make these decisions but what i think what happened there was we 
couldn't send free product. Just we had never done this before. We didn't know what the ROI was going to look like. So we maybe gave him a discount and he bought on his own. So he, he put his own money in it. He started using the product. We followed him on his channels. So we could see it in the background. He would reach out and ask us questions about it and give us feedback on ways to improve it. And the relationship, that relationship developed before we were quote, you know, kind of in business together. And I think, you know, that that's an example of ideally what we look for is somebody who is aware of our product, um, either uses it on their own already or has some experience with it and really wants to develop a longer term relationship versus just pay for post, you know, give me however much and I'll do an Instagram post about it. So it's hard to, it's kind of hard to articulate, but you really start to get a feel for it um, after you've been doing it for a little bit and you know, and you have a good partner. So once you have a good partner, you kind of know what the opposite of uh, flash in the pan, hit or miss opportunity is going to be. And you can kind of tailor it in the right direction once you start to get a handle for it. Now, I think you said that that this particular partner uh, was at least at the time when you started that relationship was particularly active on Instagram. Um, is is that where most of the influencer marketing hangs out, or or are there other channels that are useful as well? And and does that choice of channel at all impact? who you're going to choose to partner with. Definitely. Uh, I think Instagram is a good kind of barometer or thermometer to gauge the temperature of what that influencer might be able to deliver. You know, follower count is certainly an important criteria, but it's not the be all end all. So if someone has a solid following on Instagram and they have some other channels uh, like a YouTube channel or what's really good are blogs, uh, that's another great thing. That's, that's a solid partner. We're not super interested in just the Instagram folks. And the reason being is what we've seen really moves the needle is evergreen content. So content that stays online and gets indexed and shows up in search results, you know, month after month, year after year. So if somebody, somebody might have a really small Instagram account uh, and you might, someone might overlook it, but maybe their blog has, you know, a hundred, hundreds of thousands of, uh, you know, clicks every month. Well, if they're going to do an article about us, that's going to stay up forever potentially. So that that could very well be far worth it than just somebody who's got half a million Instagram followers and does one post that slowly or quickly starts to fall down their feed, uh, only seen one time. So um, it's kind of a balancing act. And again, you know, Instagram is great, and that does that seems to be where, especially you know, t- you talk about young folks trying to get out and make a name for themselves, where they want to build their audience. But I think that what we're looking for is are those influencers who have taken the step of moving their brand off of that platform and on and taking ownership themselves. So they have a website and they have their brand uh, across multiple channels. I think that's really interesting. You mentioned blogs, Uh, you know, I I would not have expected that. And you'd think I'd learned by now um, because blogs come up often. They're so easy to forget. You know, we're so enamored of, of, of video and podcast and the so-called dynamic um, or rich audio, visual, multimedia content, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, what, what keeps coming up over and over in conversations like this in terms of digital marketing is that blogs still matter. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people forget that. So can you talk a little bit about talk a little bit about your experience with uh, with with blogs in terms of how they 
relate to your your influencer marketing strategy? Yeah, we again we we think it's and it's funny you mentioned it because it's like we say untapped, but it has been tapped. It's almost like people forgot about it, and it's like what's old is new again. Yep. And so we really like that because I mean, if you do a Google search for our product and someone writes a solid blog article and it's got it's you know it's got perfect SEO, it's going to show up and it's going to take a spot in indexing and it's going to bring benefit to our customer. The other thing we like about it is, and we can get into this a little more wherever you want to go with it, but we uh, use an affiliate link program where they can embed affiliate links and get a commission on the traffic that they send to us. Uh, some of our older, longer, stronger relationships with brand ambassadors, we make this available to them. And so when they have a blog and we get traffic, that's really solid evidence that what they're doing is helping our brand. And it's a lot easier for us to partner with them at a deeper level, higher, you know, bigger projects, more spend because we know we're going to get that ROI. Whereas again, if it's just Instagram, the the analytics are not great for us knowing what our return on investment was. So was there anything that you had to do to kind of get ready to to successfully leverage influencer marketing? Were there things you had to do differently, think about differently, or were you kind of ready made to step into that and be successful from day one? We have totally learned as we went along. So we didn't have any, there was nothing in place. And that's what I would say to anybody listening is just start trying. There's no right way to do it. There's probably some wrong ways, um, but there's really no right or wrong. Just whatever works for you and your brand and the partners is going to, is going to be that your next best step. So we've learned as we've went along, we definitely had to put some guardrails in there as time went along. Some, again, we don't, we don't want to go strictly by follower count. It's not a really good indicator of what sort of influence they have. That's another thing we could get into is what their engagement looks like, but it does set some guardrails and it allows us to start some conversations uh, as far as vetting who we're going to partner with, especially if, you know, for everybody budgets, a factor, um, if, Lately, raw materials, supply chain issues have made product scarcity problem. So who you send product to is much more impactful than it used to be because it's expensive and hard to get. So uh, I think you got to I think you got to just start and you got to play around with it and you got to iterate quickly and and go where it takes you. So as you embarked on on this particular strategy, and my understanding is your company sells both consumer and industrial grade products, right? You're in the B2B and B2C. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Right? Yes. So when you started, did you have in mind that you'd be focusing, you'd be using or leveraging or investing in influencer marketing to <clears throat> address the consumer market or the business market or both? Or did that just sort of fall out of experimentation as well? Yeah, it was definitely at first, it was definitely the consumer market. But then we started to see added benefit uh, in the business market because we had a lot of our influencer partners were involved in these other programs as well for like the big box stores. So there was a lot of crossover there. And then you you just by nature of all the eyeballs that are on them, get eyeballs on your potential retail partners and buyers. So, you know, say partner A is having a conversation with his audience. Well, the buyer for Home Depot or whatever big box store happens to watch him as well, becomes aware of your product and you can kind of work that angle to get, you know, the direct to or the business to business model going. So it's kind of weird. I mean, it goes in all kinds of different directions and it's been 
super cool just watching how things evolve and how every single partnership there's been different things that have come from it there's certainly no straight path to where you want to go um but yeah we we started we started with the end user consumer in mind but have definitely seen it benefit both sides of our business uh and continues to do so yeah and, and i i think that's i think that's sort of evolving i think for you know when i think influencer mark and i certainly think b2c and the most the most important categories of influencer marketing do seem to be lifestyle, health and beauty, things of that nature. At least if, if the data that I see is, is to be believed. Um, but I think as an increasing number of business decision makers are spending time on the Instagrams, the YouTubes and so forth, it is going to become or it has become already and will continue to be a more important channel for B2B marketing as well. Yeah, I think I think it's I think the B2B they're selling a lot of, or at least our B2B is selling to an end user or, or some customer um, who's going to, you know, just buy a product and put it up. So when they see all the eyeballs on our product, that tells them they want to have it on their shelves, you know? So it used to be, and it still is to this, it still is this way, but you want to have a product that is an obvious bestseller with high reviews and does well across multiple channels. That was usually how you get your foot in the door with a big box store. Well, now you can also point to your social following and the people that that they use to sell to their audience that are using our product already. So it's a really organic way to move that conversation to, hey, I see you work with, you know, partner XYZ over there. Well, they already use our system. All their eyeballs are your customers, too. You know, it's an easy sell for you. It's already there. Let's let's see what we can do as far as putting something together there. Maybe an unfair question, but we specialize in unfair questions here on the Decision Vision podcast. No problem. And, and, the, <laughs> and that and that question is, in in your mind, as you sort of have thought about this so much, are there any are there any industries that don't lend themselves well to to, to influencer marketing? That you know, there's certain kinds of industries where it's sort of you know square peg round hole kind of thing. Yeah, I will say. I'll say yes, there's some that are probably less than others, So, but it could be different. So for instance, our manufacturing plant, it's a tool and die shop. So their customer is going to be an automotive manufacturer. It's it's not anything you're going to see on Instagram. So it's not going to be, nobody. nobody's going to buy car parts from us for an assembly line because they saw an Instagram or using it and there's no way they could anyways. But the way it can be leveraged is make one of our biggest challenge in manufacturing on the manufacturing side is finding uh skilled workers and finding people who want to come in and learn it take the time to learn a trade i mean it's very lucrative but it's just not something you hear a lot of and so we can use instagram there to show what we do and make it cool because it already is cool so it's the same thing with you know our partners we work with that are in the trades they're showing kids that like this is cool stuff to do it's not just, you know, it's, there's a, there's a, if you don't want to go to college and you want to go learn a trade, there's a path where you can be an influencer in some, you know, tool and die shop or in a woodworking shop. So I think that influencer marketing can be used in those environments, not to sell product, but to sell your business to potential employees, um, which is kind of a, I guess, a new way to look at it. And we're, we're starting to kind of play around with that too, by opening up our doors and showing people on Instagram what we do and making it cool. 
you know, I think that's a really smart point is, um, you know, we're, we're, we're in a, in my lifetime, unprecedented period where there's a, a just an unusually tight labor market that appears to be structural in nature. It's not temporary. It's not a fad. It looks like we've had a seismic, you know, a true seismic shift. And influencer marketing is, you know, may no longer just be about selling product, but it's also wanting to attract the best and the brightest to come work for you. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, if we have a solid following and we say, come, you know, come work for us and maybe we have them, Hey, you want to start, you can start an Instagram account that's semi-professional. It's going to be, you know, you personally, but you can show the work you're doing in the shop, assuming there's no, you know, NDA or something related to it. And then we can promote you on our channel so we can build you up. Like if you want to be an influencer, we can try to help you a little bit along the way. So it's kind of leveraging our audience to help the employee do what they want to do while also, you know, performing the job. Um, can you, can you work with multiple influencers at once? You know, one thing that I think might differentiate, um, uh, celebrity endorsements from influencer marketing is that celebrity endorsements tend to focus on a very, you know, one or two people at most, right? You have, you have the face for your product. Is that also the case in influencer marketing or can you have a broader portfolio of people that are representing, that are your brand ambassadors? Can you have an effect, your a state department of brand ambassadors for your product? Yeah, I think you definitely can. And that's what we do. We, there's really, if we had an issue, it would be maybe a big box store issue. Like where one big box store had this bucket of influencers and the other brand or the other big box store had another bucket of brand ambassadors and they didn't want crossover there. Um, but because our products sold in multiple big box stores, that's usually not an issue. So for us, that's not something we really have to, uh, it's been any, any sort of issue for us where there is some sort of conflicting, you know, interest behind the scenes there. So, and even, I mean, we've done going back to kind of how we partner with them. I'll bring back Adam from lazy guy DIY. He's a good example. So we've, we, because he's a woodworker and he's used to our product, we figured let's let him design like a woodworking value kit. So something we could private label under his name that he can promote on his channels and earn a commission on. And so we, we, if you look on our website under value kits, you'd find the lazy guy DIY woodworking kit. So he would, he would get paid on the sell of each of those units. And one of the cool things too, it became very easy to move that into the woodworking stores because they're familiar with his work and his name's on it. So it's an easier sell for them. It's an easy, another thing too, is they can, you know, they know they can tag him. That'll get reshared to their audience. So uh, there's a lot of creative ways to go with that, but that would probably be the closest thing we might run across where there was some sort of, you know, we couldn't have multiple places selling that one thing because it's, you know, woodworking, woodworking distributor A isn't happy with woodworking distributor B selling the same product. But we've, even with that, we've never run into any kind of problem or any sort of restrictions. Now, of course, uh, most, if not all companies have finite marketing budgets. We'd, we'd love to spend endless dollars on it if we could, but we can't. Are you, what are you finding, if anything, you're doing less of so that you make room for influencer marketing, right? What is it, what is it replacing in your portfolio of marketing activities? Well, that's a good question and it's evolving for sure. So, um, the iOS update 
15, the most recent one Apple released, very heavy on the consumer privacy. So we're seeing with our email marketing, our pay-per-click marketing, it's becoming a little harder to track and target our ideal customer. So we're the the ROI there is starting to fall off a little bit. It's still we're still heavily involved in that and we'll continue to, but we're starting to try to funnel some of that money away from there and into the influencer marketing space because we know their audience and their audience is our potential customer. So we don't have to guess, we don't have to try to, you know, hope that they've agreed to cookie tracking and all of that. We can actually know that the people they're talking to are are our potential buyers. And you said something there that I think is important that I want to kind of pause on it and drill into it a little bit, is that you know your audience, right? And another an, another maybe strength of influencer marketing versus broader celebrity endorsements is celebrity endorsements. I, in my impression anyway, is that they're blasted out to a large audience Super Bowl commercials, for example. Exactly. Right? And and you hope that you sort of reach enough of them by sheer large numbers. Influencer marketing. Uh, allows you to target very specific audience, and they give you, you know, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. They also, there's also a lot more data available to be able to analyze the impact, or at least potential impact, of what you're doing, right? So you can make empirically fact-based decisions on on how you spend your dollars. Exactly, and if you, you know, just like any experiment, if you have, if you set one variable up. Uh, it's easier to see what impact it has. So you might not want to go with, you know, you might want to pick a month. So for instance, our product line will go in a lot of different places. It goes in a wood shop, it goes in a home gym, it goes in a kitchen. So maybe one month pick for us, pick, we're just going to focus on home gyms and see what, see how the, the needle moves speaking directly to that audience. And then the next month move to another target audience. And you can, you can, even if the analytics, because again, the hard Instagram is a little tricky because we can't really track their audience to our website unless it's like a direct link. And the other thing too, is we sell through retailers. So if you know somebody sees our product on Instagram, they could go pick it up at a retail store and we would never know that that's what influenced their purchase. But if we, if we segment our targeting, we can look over time and say, okay, when we were running this campaign, we really sold a lot of these. So let's assume that that, that delta between the month before was because we were targeting that audience. Um, one concern I, I, I imagine is, is arising with some of the people listening onto the program, listening to the program is, is that, boy, this sounds expensive, right? These, some of these mm-hmm. YouTube marketers are making serious money and, 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 you know, they're not even going to talk to us for a level that's outside of our budget. And it's sort of the barrier to entry of, of celebrity endorsements all over again. Is that true or are there ways to kind of dip your toe in this and, and still have some kind of effect? For sure. And I would, I would say, you know, full disclosure, we have never been a pay for post company. That's not how we engage with our partners, our brand ambassadors, and especially not at the very beginning. So what we've always done is free product for exposure based on what that audience size looks like. And we should also talk about you know, an influencer is not an influencer is not an influencer. There's the micro influencer, which you would define probably somewhere. If, and we'll just talk Instagram numbers just because it's easy, but somewhere around 10,000 followers uh, would kind of be in that category. I say 10,000 to 100,000 followers. 
And then, you know, beyond that, you start getting into the, the folks who have the agencies that they want you to work with and they want to be paid. So what I would do if I was starting from scratch, I try to find somebody who I see in the community I would like to target, who seems to be knowledgeable, start following them, maybe reach out on Instagram or send a DM on some other platform and, and say, hey, we like what you're doing. We think our product might be a benefit to you. Would you mind if we sent you some free product? And that's a pretty organic way to just start a conversation and you can kind of see where that goes. And then from there, what we would do, or basically kind of our playbook is we start with a free product and we see how that goes. From there, we see where the relationship goes. And then we can talk about uh, paid engagements after that. And the other thing too, our product line is heavy. It's expensive to produce and ship. So if we've already got the initial investment in a shop, it's easier for us to come up with some creative ways to actually pay money to the influencer to help market our product. And another creative way that we've found works really well are, you know, affiliate programs. There's really good, you know, plug and play APIs that can plug into almost any websites back in uh, where you can easily track these conversions and pay your, you know, influencer partner a commission off of all the sales that they generate from traffic they send to your website. Uh, so that's kind of how, that's how we do it and how we got started. And I think it's a pretty easy way to kind of dip your toe into it. The other thing too, I keep going back to follower count. You don't want to just look at that. You really want to look at engagement and it doesn't take very long to figure out if it's there or not. So, you know, if somebody has 200,000 followers on Instagram, but their post only gets like 10 likes and no comments, that's probably not going to give you a big bang for your buck. Whereas maybe somebody has got 5,000 followers, but their every post gets you know, a thousand something likes and a bunch of comments. That's a really engaged audience who's going to be much more receptive to the content they put out. Talking with Richard Grove and the topic is, should I use influencer marketing? Um, so you touched on something that I, I think is really important. I want to make sure that we cover today. And that is how are influence mark? Um, yeah. How are influencers typically compensated? Is it commission? Is it, is it show by show? I mean, I, I, I'm truly ignorant about this. How, how does yeah. that payment structure typically work? So it can, I mean, a lot of different ways. So typically, I would say your micro influencer is probably not compensated. It's probably just a side hustle for them um, is, is usually what we see. And so their first tier of, and I can't speak to all brands, but their first tier of compensation for us would be that commission uh, paid out based on sales that they send our way. Um, that would be that would be the, kind of the base level. Then, if that's going really well, and say they want to really put some time and energy into something like a blog post or a YouTube video, we could talk about what that pay structure would look like and what we would do internally. And the other thing too is, I think it's important for a company because it's so hard to attribute sales. In this way, it's kind of it's it's even more important for a company to be aware of what their typical customer acquisition cost looks like and what kind of return they're getting across other platforms. Because that'll really that'll give you some structure to talk about, you know, with an influencer partner. So, you know, if we're if we're looking to have a say we have a new product we're rolling out and we were going to make our own internal YouTube video, there's going to be some cost inherent to that. We're going to have to pay our employee. We're going to have to spend some time doing it. So, whatever cost we would spend doing that. I'm cool with paying one of our partners to do it and we're going to get more traction because they have a bigger audience and it's coming from a third person perspective. So it's going to hit a little different than if we're telling you our product's great, go buy it. So 
Um, that's, you know, that's one way to do it. And another, you know, another thing to keep in mind is look for just like that, look for creative ways to monetize your partner. It's going to probably be different for every brand in every industry, but if there's, you know, if there's, and even if it's one off, that's fine too. Don't think that if you do it for this one person, you got to do it for this other person and it has to be totally scalable. I would work it on a partner by partner basis and then slowly refine what your criteria is as you go along. Um, and don't be afraid to make mistakes there either, because that's really the, the only way you're going to you know, learn what steps to take next. So we, we touched on this a little bit, but I, I want to make sure we hit it. Uh, and, and that is that you know, one, of the, one of the benefits of inf influencer marketing and digital marketing in general is that we get much more data, more relevant data, in some cases, effectively real time. What are the KPIs or key performance indicators you look at in measuring the effectiveness of your investment in influencer marketing? So we look at it as a whole. We don't, we look at, you know, we look at the program as a whole. We try to, uh, so, say, for, say, and I, I don't want to give all of our criteria, but we typically say that in order to send free product, we'd like for you to have 10,000 followers on at least one social channel, because we found that based on our um, average order size and customer acquisition cost, that tends to uh, be a good return on investment for us. If it's less than that, what we'll usually do is provide some heavy discount code and we have an incubator program that will we'll, we'll put folks in that bucket um, while they grow their audience, we'll try to help them grow their audience, you know, through our audience as well and develop a relationship so that when they hit that, you know, these certain thresholds, it makes more sense to send out or it makes, we can open up the, you know, the open up the product giveaways and we can open up the, the actual monetary spend. So what we do is we try to look at the program as a whole and we use the analytics that come in from our affiliate network to try to gauge what sort of return on investment we're seeing there. And again, it gets muddy because of the retail network, but we, we tend to see that rising tides lift all ships. And so if we were running a campaign, we, we generally will, we can tell what impact that had on our overall sales and attribute that back to, you know, the partners we were wor working with and what sort of budget we moved over into that, that bucket. If that, does that help answer the question? Yeah, I think it does. Um, Richard, you've been so generous with your time and your, um, your knowledge today, and I don't want to abuse that. We're running up against our, our, our time limit today. And I'm sure there are questions we either didn't cover or, or uh, our listeners would have wished that we had gone into more depth with. Uh, if people have questions about this topic, about influencer marketing, and want to uh, get some feedback from you, can they contact you? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I would just, if they want to just reach out on social media, um, I'm Mr. Wall Storage on Twitter and on Instagram, and then we can go from there. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Richard Grove so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also, check out my new LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck. 
Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 